This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. And we're back, Gregory. It's good to be back with you talking a little bit more about some of the topics that are driving our culture um, and the change that's happening in this country. Um, we shared some ideas offline that I, I, I think are really um, a big part of kind of the, the underbelly of the disruption that we're all sort of feeling. And I want to, I want to, I want you to kind of set that up a little bit by by exploring part of the unhappiness that Americans feel. And I want you to kind of maybe put in context whether or not this is a new development for us as an American nation, if it's if it's a part of our DNA, and if there are other societies, other countries that are experiencing the same sort of unhappiness. Well, I, I'm just going to go on this University of Chicago sort of rolling uh, survey that they've been doing for 50 years, or, and apparently Americans are at the un, are unhappier than they've been since they started taking it in 1970 odd. Uh, um, and the reasons are seem to be pointing at isolation and loneliness. Um, uh, that is peculiarly American because of the way the society is constructed, but. But feelings of, of rootlessness and, and feelings of not belonging and feelings of meaninglessness are, are, are happening throughout the world, which is likely a product of globalization, right? People are feeling displaced uh, in all sorts of psychic ways. And that translates into people, you know, if people and issues they, they grab onto in politics to make sense of what's happening inside of them. So yeah, I, 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 I think we're, we're at a moment in which, um, we're at, this, we're at this inflection point of the culture where we don't know what the culture is. Um, and, and that does recur in a, in, a, in a culture that's based on the notion of leaving the past, of recreating, of starting anew. America routinely goes through moments of, 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 of being lost and then being found. I mean, the sort of losing tradition and then creating new tradition, losing meaning and creating new meaning. So, so I think it is recurrent, but it is right. I think we're in the middle of one and we don't know what we're losing and we don't know what we're gaining. I think what we're seeing is a lot of despair and the despair I think is going to be obviously enhanced by the experience of the pandemic. Um, and I think we're going to see this again. When we talked about last time, I don't want is, is that that will be despair will be met with this uh, with this license. With this, people will let go. People will not uh, conform. So I think I think we're in for a very rough uh, decade uh, in which uh, culture will be sorting itself out again. I love the. Um the language of being lost and being found, right? For obvious reasons, we know, we know where that comes from. But is that, is, that, um, is that a unique characteristic of a country and a people like Americans because of we are a pluralistic society or at least claim to be, or because we are a nation of ideas or at least claim to be, or we well, are a country where anybody can become American two or things. at least claim to be? 
the great, uh, amazingly smart questions. But two things. I, the, the, my response to that was that the, sort of the sort of liberal ideology, classical liberalism, is the notion of sort of liberating around the idea of liberation, around the idea of liberating oneself from whatever social uh, uh, constraints one has. And so any liberal society is going to feel that sense of uh, confinement, release. And then the loneliness after the release, and then the formation of new groups, and then those, and then those, and, and, and the products of those new groups will then also liberate themselves from those groups and find, you know, find new meaning. It's sort of a, so no one does it in my mind like America, but the whole, the entire world, in particular the Western world, is based on this notion of uh, right now of. Going beyond tradition into modernity, going beyond nationhood into globalization. So one, I think we do it more. We we transition more. But the entire Western world, the entire world at this point, is looking at the loss of tradition, and and and, and the loss of meaning and the loss of community and the psychic pain that comes from that. But to your question, yes, it's global. But yes, it's also peculiarly American. Uh, the, the, the sense of recreating identity every generation or so. And the recreation of identity means loss and loss is often painful. And is that a, a characteristic of Americans that you think bodes well for the country in the future or it bodes poorly? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think it bodes very, very poorly at the moment. Um, but you know, usually when something's lost, something is usually created to replace it, right? And so it, it's unclear. At as it, unclear, you know, I've written I've written a lot about this. Is the extent you know assimilation, for instance, so the, the 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 Greek immigrant arrives in uh, in in. Uh, in Queens, right, and 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 and, and, the, and the second generation, the first generation born here, is Greek American and lives within maybe you know ten miles of where their parents did, and the third generation then maybe moves out to Long Island, and they outmarry, and then the fourth generation, and then are they Greek anymore? Do they have any? connection to the language to any any semblance of the networks the sources of meaning of their of their four parents um and and they, do they become white and and whiteness is in the process in american uh, in the american experience it generally means a loss of ethnicity uh, it means the, the sort of the, the so i i think right now we're seeing um the full extent of whiteness and the full extent of the the meaningless that process uh, uh the process of assimilation creates among whites. So I don't know what replaces it. It doesn't seem like we're creating community or culture to replace it. Um, so I, I don't want to be negative here, but I, uh, but no, I don't, I don't see anything replacing it at the moment. Yeah. And I don't, I don't take this as negative. I think it's just kind of an observation, right? An understanding of why we're witnessing what we're witnessing um, in, in our society, in our culture. And I think that there's, it's very important to understand that a lot of American culture is really defined by the by the lack of a cohesive culture, Precisely. which is why, which is why having an enemy or an external threat has always been such a unifying and necessary force to keep America together. And without that, it starts to disaggregate. American society starts to come apart when there is nothing holding us together in common. There's no common threat. It starts to. I hate to use the term balkanize, but it starts to scatter and break up. 
Well, but 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 the ball, but there was balkanization in the supposed cohesion. The cohesion was never for all Americans. It was strictly for white Americans. Right. Uh, whenever someone's uh, you know brought in, someone's kicked out. Right. So so World War Two, Japanese Americans were kicked out. They they were put literally put in camps. Chinese Americans were suddenly welcome into the to the sort of the so the so called you know the brotherhood of of, of Americanness. So there's always been an outliers within the country. But but I what I would like to switch this over and talk about. If we're unhappy, Mike, what do you think would cultural shifts, what might make Americans more happy? I mean, if we're talking about isolation, rootlessness, and, and loneliness, what do you think um, culturally might help to make Americans feel more at home, if you will? Well, I think we have to find a new way of experiencing community. Right. And I think we, we thought maybe a decade ago that Facebook group pages would, would replace our churches and our, and our bowling leagues um, as community. That's clearly not, um, it may be happening. I think that's part of the rise of, of sort of these, you know, peculiar, peculiar and wacky groups out there, the QAnon phenomenon in political parlance. But it also, you know, speaks to kind of like, you know, knitters and book clubs and all these other things where people who don't know each other are reaching out and finding some sort of commonality. And I think there is some good to that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. The baseball card collectors can now talk to people on the East Coast that they would never have otherwise known about or heard about uh, to share that that commonality and that interest. The same thing with book clubs. You can have entire communities of people that you become very close and attached to that you've never met before. The downside is, of course, it's a it's a uh, that happens with with people with extremist views, with divisive views, whose real aim is to tear society apart, can now curiously come together to deconstruct the threads of society. Absolutely. But I think there's, there's as important positive and negative as a Facebook group can be, it's, it's really no replacement for intimacy and authenticity of, of human contact. And, um, that there is no replacement for that. And, it it misses, my, it's missing the human connection of community. It may be mm -hmm. community on paper, but it's not real meaningful in a way that we used to have that <laughs> when we would bring the, you know, mac and cheese to the potluck at Sunday, you know, Christmas or, or Sunday, you know, church dinners, right? And I think that's right. And I think that's why we feel so empty. We know more people, we have people with common interests, but there's no human connection which is really at the core of of human happiness is we need each other we are political people not in the partisan sense we're political people in the social sense we need each other as human beings we want each other a lot of people have surmised i think quite correctly that it's probably one of our this empathy this human empathy we have for each other is probably our strongest evolutionary trait the reason why these people with no external body armor who are very susceptible to to the elements we're successful is because we have a yearning for each other and for each other's survival and each other's su success at some level. And that gives us fulfillment. And when we are helping others, when we're connecting with others, when we're, when we're seeing others do well, there is something that makes us happy. And that's not where we're at at this moment in but, human history, certainly not but, in American history. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know about human history, but there, there are happy people in the world, but, but I totally agree with you. But there's also another element, not only does it make people happy, 
it actually increases their chances of survival. Right. Oddly enough, I just went to the uh, local archaeological museum the other day, <clears throat> and there's this early sort of prehistoric uh, a human. Uh, there, there was a diorama. And it, was, it was a little creepy because I think they were eating a human, and it wasn't really. They didn't spell it out in the sign, but it did say one of the one of the reasons, as you said, that one of the reasons humans survived and humans uh, came out of the the the, 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 the stages that 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 that, that, that diorama was about was the ability to cooperate, was the ability to strategize collectively. So not only makes people happy, not only gives them meaning, not only gives them, but it also increases their chances of survival. Uh, and so, so community- Unless you're being eaten. Right, right, right. <laughs> that poor dude that was a weird thing i wish i could say we should put we could put up a picture there there was a limb there was a there was a you know a severed limb nearby and yeah. they seemed to be I, I actually asked people next to me are they eating that dude and they, they weren't sure <laughs> but 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 again so so we're we're losing both so not only do you lose the feelings of, of the, the affection that comes from people and the, the the meaning that comes from bouncing off people, you're also coming, you're also losing the ability for a neighbor to help you when you're down, the ability to help you when you don't have a job, the ability to help you to to, to bring you a, a souffle at a wake, you know. Yeah. So I I worry about American culture um, uh, because I don't know if some of these basic uh, elements are being taken care of. Immigrants have them. And I'm, I've never been more worried about the effects of assimilation on new immigrants, because uh, if once you lose those practices, um, you really are, <laughs> it's great, what did you say, with no armor, you really are with no psychic armor, without those abilities, with, without the network that keeps you afloat emotionally, and sometimes financially and, and otherwise. So yeah. I, yeah. I wonder also, because this is not a new trend, right? We've been seeing it develop if the pandemic and the isolation and the shelter at home and quarantine processes we've had to go through are rapidly accelerating this trend towards isolation that has augmented or increased our unhappiness, our lack of yeah, fulfillment and, and kind of taken to. away some of the last few vestiges that we've had of human interaction. Or that or make people deeply hungry for it. I knew a, a, an advertising guy at, in Kentucky. He liked to use the terms high high tech and high touch. And so after the high tech of Zoom, you're going to see a, a high a desire, a great pent up desire for high high touch. Uh, <laughs> that could be good or that could be bad. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's lots of pent up desire. But in the meantime, will people have the community to go back to? Uh, yeah, you're, I think it's I, I I think it's a real uh, tragic moment for American culture overall, um, and uh, somehow the national nature of our politics, the national nature of our culture, doesn't help. It doesn't really give you the sense of rootedness and togetherness, and uh, that I think people are, are longing for. I think you said something really interesting too that I want to explore in terms of a way to kind of resolve that is. Those that do have these networks that are more high touch, more intimate human interactions tend to be immigrants, yeah. right? They tend to be those that are living in higher density areas, more multi-generational. Um, they're people who rely on more traditional networks as opposed to a you know Facebook group to buy somebody's old sofa. They're or the government. Or yeah. the government or any yeah. institutions, right? They rely on yeah. each other, right? which is very basic it's a basic human need and a human desire 
And I'm wondering if, again, maybe that, like so often as we found throughout American history, the, the reinvigoration of American culture requires the immigrant. We need it's not that we it's not that we we hold it up as a mythology or that's this beautiful thing and a plaque written at the base of the Statue of Liberty and blah blah blah. It's like no America literally because it is a society that's built on desegregating and individualism and pulling it apart. That only that's not sustainable as a as a as a as a as a model for a people, right? The Absolutely. end game of that after 40 years of not having an immigration plan is you're just all in your separate corners kind of, and still trying to find even more separation. The only thing that creates this human cohesion on top of that are people of other cultures coming in that are, that are, have a, a more intimate connection with one another and it reinvigorates and holds, it becomes the glue literally that holds the country together. Absolutely. And it serves as a model for those. And that's, this is why, this is why sort of suburban whites are both fear and, and sort of idealize immigrant life, because that sort of, uh, what sort of, sort of the white model is to be fully an individual, not or sort of the sort of, sort of classical liberal model, so the autonomous individual. Um, and so, and, 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 and non-whites are often seen as people acting in a collective. They're very rare, rarely seen as individuals per se, as representatives usually. But in any case, yeah, what you're saying, give me an example. When Italians came to the U.S., they became more practice. They, they practiced Catholicism more once they arrived mm. than when they had in in Italy. Same with Mexicans. Mexicans are more likely. Mexican immigrants are more likely to go to church every Sunday in the United States than they did in Mexico. So the the, the one the, the the classic way immigrants have survived um, was to become even more intimate, more collective oriented and sort of they survive by by gathering their resources and 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 coming together in synagogues and mosques and churches and surviving the, the the isolating aspects of american culture so absolutely like you said i mean so this is how this and this brings a certain vitality to the culture that sadly the design is that all these people are supposed to lose, quote unquote, supposed to lose over time. So yeah, there is, there is, there is. You you, you said it really well. There there is seem to be in the in the recipe of American success, the ingredients of its of of the implosion of culture. Um, and at, at what point does do, do we actually face that? At what point did, at, at what point will that destroy it, the country altogether? Well, I would say, I don't know the answer to that, but what I would say is if I were creating a scenario where that would happen, I would throw in a good base of social media. I would throw <laughs> in a global pandemic requiring us to stay away from each other. And then I would also limit immigration for 30 or 40 years to test the case, to see if the, the, the tearing at our selves is a function of each one of these three things, <laughs> maybe more, I don't know, but at least those, those three jump out at me as saying, this is, we, we are lack. Well, I guess we also, we also, I get, let me add a, a fourth. There's no real common enemy, right? There's no cold war threat. There's no rise of Nazism in Europe. That's rallying us to go save the planet. There's no external foreign threat. Well, I, th I think Trump tried to make China and I think Biden yeah. will, 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 will maintain the China threat uh, uh, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently that pulls well among a certain sector of America. So, but but but, but let me go down a more intimate level. Like, what 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 makes you happy? What what makes you feel connected 
you you're a guy who 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 lives on Twitter and and that that's not good for one's mental health. No, uh, it's not. And so <laughs> so how do you survive the disconnected? Uh, I, I don't want to give any more adjectives to that horrific place called Twitter. Uh, how do you survive it? What do, what do you do once you shut it off, or do you shut it off? Well, look, I, coming off of the heels of a campaign, I know that sounds strange because it was a few months ago, but actually I've just been able to kind of find some distance from you know all this work that I did last year in the presidential campaign. And so I am cutting back, scaling back pretty dramatically my social media engagement. And I am finding myself in a, in a better, happier place, right? In many ways, it was a practical um, part of what I was doing professionally. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that I have not been a social media addict for many years because I have been and, and remain one. <laughs> um, but I will also say this, I have during this time found a lot of comfort and solace and guilt-free isolation that has brought me a different level of happiness, inward happiness. I am kind of at the end of that. Like I'm kind of done with that now, right? Like I've found, I've realized that I'm much more introverted than I thought I was. We've talked about this before. I'm a painter, which is a very isol isolationary activity. Love to paint. Uh, I've been doing more writing um, and even a little bit more reading. So all of these are very solitary activities, which I've always felt guilty about doing because of external obligations, or maybe I should be doing this, or I should be, I should be, I should be. When we're all doing that, I've been able to do that and kind of get fill up my internal tank that way. Mm. But after a year, I'm kind of I'm kind of done. Like I don't need to go to concerts at the Rose Bowl with a hundred thousand people, but I would like to like go down the street and just kind of you know hang out and chat with people at the coffee shop. So right now you're market. you're hankering then to go out and connect. I am. I am. Yeah. Even I am. Yeah which yeah. is somebody who's much more, again, introverted than, than I thought. And I thought, okay, I could do this for the next 30 years. I'm realizing, no, yeah. I'm kind of done. Well, a year is good enough. Like let's, 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 right. you know, let's, let's head out a little bit more, venture out responsibly, but let's, right. let's look at it and engage people. And, and I've actually started thinking about things that, that I want to be very methodical about in terms of spending my time engaging in a social way. Mm -hmm. And what, what I mean by that is this. I, I work in politics. There's a lot of people that I have to be around that I really don't want to be around, quite, quite a few, actually. And um, I don't want to spend my time that way anymore. And I'm very comfortable pushing myself outside of a comfort zone by saying, hey, I want to check out these interests and see what these people are up to completely outside of the political realm. And I'm, I'm also okay knowing that in many cases, that's not going to work out or it's not what I thought it would be but at least knowing that there's some human interaction in a way that works for me um, is important. I was thinking that just this morning, I'm looking forward to having some discussions like this with six to eight people at my house, you know, to talk about these things, just to get that kind of engagement again. And that's something that I probably never would have done pre-pandemic. Nice. Nice. You got, you had the time to sort out what, what ratio you want between uh, 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 alone time and people time. Yeah, and I wish that I wish that my country was doing that. I think we're all doing that as individuals, um, and I guess that's the way that it all begins. But what I still see is, again, um, there have been a few moments in my lifetime when I remember America rallying to a cause, right? 9-11 for at least a week. That didn't last much longer than that, right? There's this common threat 
And again, I, I would hate for it to be like that, but there have been other aspirational things where I think our country has really rallied and done some good things. Yeah, but, but, I, I, but I, I want to separate, you know, sort of the political well-being of a nation, which needs people buying into whatever X or Y and people being happy. And I think they're two different things. Um, I, I agree. Uh, and and, and I, I'm more and more convinced that, that, that one cannot be happy in the United States without some sort of alternative uh, uh, culture or alternative life that isn't I think if, if your culture, if you if your view of morality, for example, is political or legal, you're screwed. If you don't see any broader sense of well-being or propriety, or if, if your view of uh, of of truth is a newspaper or a law book, law book, you're screwed. I, I think the the absence of any alternative forms of culture and meaning is a disaster. So I think a country that doesn't need you all the time, I think a country that doesn't have a president that needs your fucking attention all the time is a healthy thing. I, I think the more people can who can draw back from a needy country and enjoy their lives in whatever realm they want, whether they're Amish, whether they're Orthodox Jews, whether they're Catholics, the extent to which people can enjoy their lives in the, in, the, in the networks and the sources of meaning that are unrelated to the needs of a needy country, the happier the people will be. Mm. And I think that is what a republic's supposed to be. A republic's not to be supposed to be participatory democracy at all times. We're gonna talk about every <laughs> single vote on every single ambassador. But it, it, so I, I, I think that is either how the country will reinvigorate itself by cultures opting out uh, or at least keeping their distance from what is essentially, uh, you know, that these two great sociologists used to call America the, the, uh, the, a language graveyard, but it's also a culture graveyard. Mm. And to the extent to which cultures can live and people can be happy within them without having to forsake them for the sake of the, again, I'll say it again, because I like it, needy country, the happier people will be. I think. I think ultimately, at first, at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw that we were going back to sort of state identities. You and I discussed it seven months ago when we thought California was doing a good job. Right, right. <laughs> and the, the way people can can find people will find homes when they're intimate. They're never going to find home in a in a four hundred million country. For you know, I mean, um, I, I think the answer is is smaller collections of, of intimacy and authenticity and meaning that we're not gonna get from Entertainment Weekly. I mean, you know, maybe once in a while. Well, should we reject consciously the idea of looking to Washington for these things? You said something on oh, a previous absolutely. episode that I thought was just brilliant. It's like, we have this need to look to Washington every day to give us meaning. It's it's completely and it's very wrong. empty, needy. I mean, the question isn't is America unhappy? It's is America is needy. I mean, needy people aren't happy people, right? At their core. I think the country's needy. I think the country needs the. the, the, the I mean, I, I, this this notion that we have to listen in on the president every day. I mean, the, you know, I've been reading this this French. He's a he's a Calvinist anarchist philosopher. He's dead. On, on, on the political illusion that the more we think the government is responsible for everything, the more we look at it. And the more we look at the government for the meaning of our lives and for solving every little problem we have, the less sense of empowerment that we have to solve anything ourselves. So I think it's 
genuinely pathological, this notion. If, if you know, I, you know, I wrote a piece about how America needed to grieve, you know, this about last May. And if you haven't grieved, if you haven't begun, if you haven't seen, if you hadn't prayed, if you pray, if you hadn't thought about the meaning of death, mass, mass death, until Joe Biden and Kamala Harris did it, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Because if you're taking your lead on your spiritual life, on your, your, your ability to make meaning out of mass death from elected officials, from politicians, they are politicians. Hmm. Ask any American what they think of politicians and most of them say they suck 90 percent was but suddenly because they're elected they don't suck anymore it's, it's just these are these, these are the most craven people our society produces necessary evils blah 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 but you're going to go for a politician a person who has to morph their their personality and their supposed conscious their consciences to the mass voter every two or four years if they are your if they are your guides to living in the universe, you're fucked. America 2021, folks. <laughs> thank, thank you for that uplifting ending, Gregory. It's fantastic. Yeah, I was I think, hoping we talk I, happy shit here, dude. But uh, I, I, I slept for some reason. But look, no, I think this is important, right? It's like you got to dig deep into this stuff to start rooting it out. And I think what you said is really, really fucking profound. It's 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 absolutely right. It's you go to a lot of other countries. I go to Mexico a lot, right? I go to Mexico. They're not looking to politicians for leadership on anything. Now, there's a whole lot of other reasons why that is the case, but they're never going to be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this guy's 100% right, and these guys are 100% wrong, and this is the way to truth and and to, to the survival of us as a, as a people. I'm not saying it's uniquely American. I'm just saying it's it's largely American, and we just it's, it's sport and probably has a hell of a lot to do with a, a, a weak cultural backbone if that's a thing you know it's 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 not having that base to hold us up and so we do what america was designed to do is we desegregate we pull from we each make other money and we make money to fill that hole we go make money to fill that gap it's like i'm needy and i'm insane and, i just need yeah. a new car and it will all go away <laughs> right right and that gets into the culture of consumerism and blah, blah, blah. And I think, look, a lot of these things are not new. A lot of these concepts are not new, but they have hit kind of a crescendo. Or if it's not a crescendo, it's just a new step in our own dysfunction. And, and that's it's not to say that there isn't some really beautiful redeeming values of who we are as a people, but there's a cultural problem. And we need to be much more self-aware and much more yes. retrospective and not be afraid to say, Hey, these are some gaps because we're we're sick as a society. We're really sick. Our people kill themselves. Our suicide rates are are, are higher than most Western nations. Probably most most all all homicide all absolutely the highest of any first world country. We absolutely. got you know mass killings and and opioid addictions and uh, bulimia and anorexia and we've got we've got all of these self destructive behaviors and we know the answers but we can't get off the junk. Because American culture is essentially a system of governance, one, white supremacy, two, and as Calvin Coolidge once said, the business of America is business. It isn't a culture per se. It is a place that requires you, one, to check one's culture in order to get ahead. That in the notion, the ideal of sort of a liberal autonomous creature is this cultureless, ethnicity-less, raceless 
person. It's the, it's, the, it's the dream of an HR manager, this person who has no ticks, who has, who speaks perfect at a perfect tone. It's, it's, there is, it'd be sort of de-ethnicizing is the way uh, to get ahead. So, so, so there, it, it isn't a culture and maybe America, maybe the point here is America needs to create one. It's, it's of, out of many cultures, one, but right now it's governance and it has been from the start governance, white supremacy and business. But, and again, if we lose the cultures that come, then we're still, we're, 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 we're basically in a cul-de-sac. Uh, we're, we're, we're a couple in a, in a five bedroom house living alone and who don't know your neighbors. They, that's, 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 that's America 20. Dude, this was supposed to be a happy episode, man. I think it was. This was, this dude, was helpful to me. Dude, this, we I were supposed to talk about affirmative things, man. This is unbelievable. Look, I think, I think what you did is are you very, you articulated extremely well the situation because now we can start remedying it. Look, we talked about some solutions, right? We know that some of these problems, look, you, you identified it perfectly. Governance, white supremacy, and and commerce business like that's what america exists to do the framework for that exists how did we accelerate into this place that we've been slowly creeping into social media get the hell off of it folks at least limit it or reduce it right truly the pandemic let's start planning about what you want and focusing forward now as we start to see vaccines work what do i want to be more methodical about how do i want to spend my time with others it doesn't mean going to a concert it can just be visiting my neighbor a little bit more next door because i couldn't and now i value that that's really really important and the third is there has to be some reinvigoration of people who are naturally predisposed and inclined to bring us that and we need to view it as a cultural value not an economic value to keep our salads cheap and our houses very smart and our Instacart working. There's actually a cultural reinvigoration process that happens when we bring others whose culture gives us that. Damn, that was smart. That was smart. And my small, I can't say much to that. That was beautifully said. My small contribution to this is earlier this evening before I came back to the apartment to call you, I went in to say thank you to the people who sold me health insurance the other day. And it made, and they were just cracking up. And it's just the meeting of this. I just going in and saying, hey, how are you? How are you doing? That stuff makes me happy. It makes other people happy. And they're, they're meaningless perhaps in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the larger universe. But the extent to which you can engage and reinforce uh, the feelings of well-being of the people around you, and, this, uh, and that's all we can do: little contributions to the world, um, and, and affirm other people. One, and and what I really want to say is to praise that that somehow, in a culture that that's about combating grievance, um, that I'm hoping that that the, the the idea of to praise to 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 really say this is great, this is beautiful. Um, that's what I think we're missing most is the sense of, of appreciating the beauty of the world. Tune in next week to hear a little bit more. I, Gregory, I think that was, I'm happy. Are you happy now? Are you, are you feeling uplifted? Dude, you, you made me miserable as usual. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You're talking to you, buddy. We'll talk again next week on Americanata. Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.